I was named Richard because my father loved Richard I of England, the Lionheart. But I'm usually called Richie. My father's surname and mine is Cathar, which he adopted when he was at Oxford in 1963, and often under the influence of drugs. Our family name was previously Carter, way too mundane for my father. There is a small but distinct group of men that I recognize at a distance and try to avoid. My father was one of them. They have a a kind of frayed-at-the-edges charm and a slightly distracted cheerfulness, as though they are attuned to amusing private frequencies. Their hair is long, even if decimated by hereditary patterns of baldness. Their clothes are a little threadbare and ill-matched, so that a Tibetan shari can be worn with an old pinstripe suit, or perhaps a thick pair of cordries of a type found only in a few streets near the traditional London clubs, will be paired confidently with a Jimi Hendrix T-shirt. This morning, on the first leg of a relatively pointless journey on the number 30 bus and the underground to buy some sausages, I saw a woman, a grandmother but still a ditzy blonde, enter my carriage pushing a pram. She had that unmotivated optimism of my father's generation. She was wearing a short ostrich cape and a yak wool scarf. The cape had once been, I guessed, an electrifying green, but now, like the Statue of Liberty, it was verdigris. As the air of the train eddied, disturbed by the rushing anxious progress, it caused the cape to spring into a lively but syncopated dance. Scores of antique ostrich feathers fluttered onto the floor and into the pram. I could not see the baby within. Perhaps it was being smothered by the errant ostrich feathers, or maybe it was soothed by their snowfall touch. I wanted to speak to this woman, who, I could now see as she bent over the baby, was wearing a Navajo silver belt low on her jeans. The silver discs on the belt bore important Native American messages. I got a glimpse of a puckered, tripe-textured stomach when her cheesecloth shirt opened for a moment. I wanted to know where she was going with her grandchild. Also, I wanted to ask her if she knew that the cape was molting. If she was going as far as Dollis Hill or Clapham Junction, it would be bald on arrival. She smiled at me as she saw me looking her way. Women with babies imagine you're interested in their charges. Her teeth were not good, worn down to stubs, but her smile was complicit. She was old enough to be my mother, but she recognized something in me. She was, I thought, like my father, one of those not securely moored to reality. It is his birthday today, and he's been dead for ten years. Now back from my sausage outing, I'm throwing things onto a bonfire. A clear-out is long overdue. The accumulated stuff contains an implicit reproach. I am multitasking, getting rid of rubbish, and intending to use the fire to barbecue my sausages when it has subsided. At the moment, it is alarmingly excitable. The cleansing fire of purgatory, my father wrote, terrified people in the Middle Ages. He said the purgatory was designed to finish off the last few lingering sins, the sort of thing chefs do to a souffle or a creme brulee with a little blowtorch, a light scorching before presentation. In 1999, Pope John Paul II pronounced, Purgatory does not indicate a place, but a condition of existence as if anyone were listening. What is it about these religious figures that they make absurd statements about sainthood and gay marriage and purgatory and the covering of women?
Do they not realize that religion is purely cultural? An explanation and a comfort dating from a world before antibiotics, hospital births, and logical positivism. I am aware that in my loneliness my mind is unruly. It seems to be flying blindly about like a swallow trapped in a building, crashing into windows, unable to make a plan of any sort. In the toxic, dark, cat-fouled, medieval strip of dank, dead clay, once a lawn, still overhung by a few leggy leftover shrubs, the bonfire is casting interesting light and shadow on the derelict Welsh chapel, which forms the end of the garden so that it looks incandescent, as though the holy fire from the Church of the Resurrection in Jerusalem has appeared here for a moment. The Orthodox Patriarch, who is the impresario of the holy fire's appearances, is on record as saying that he has never had his beard singed.